Well, this evening we are concluding our exploration of Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 to verse 11. And in the morning we said there are two themes in this passage. Right? The first theme is that Paul wants the Colossians to welcome three people who are traveling to Colossae. The stranger Tychicus, the Colossian slave Onesimus, and a man called John Mack, the cousin of Barnabas. So welcome is one theme. The second theme Paul wants to teach the church at Colossae is the importance of receiving encouragement from other true followers of Christ. Now, this morning, we looked at the theme of welcome. We went through verse 7 to verse 10, and we saw how this passage encourages us to welcome other followers of Christ in our, in our church, in our lives, and in our homes, as we said. Well, this evening, I want to focus on the theme of encouraging one another in Christ, because to some degree, this is the burden of this passage. We are called to encourage others and to receive encouragement in Christ. And I want us to learn this truth under three lessons. The first truth is simply this. Every true follower of Christ needs encouragement. Every person needs encouragement, but in the context of believers, every true follower of Jesus needs encouragement. Paul starts this closing section by telling the Colossians that he has sent the man who is carrying the letter to Tychicus to do what? To encourage their hearts. Look at verse 7 to 8. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to do what? I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Encourage them about what? Well, the Colossians are there that Paul is in prison. And alongside Paul is one of the elders at Colossae, a man called Epaphras. He is there in prison. Uh, Verse 12 to 13 focuses on him and his greeting to the church. And so with Paul being in prison and Epaphras, one of their pastors in prison, Paul naturally expects that all of this has brought deep concern to the church at Colossae. They are discouraged about that specific issue and on top of other general discouragement they face in life. The Colossians are not only with their, their beloved pastor, the mentor to their pastor is also in prison. And they desperately need their spirits lifted up. Because on top of that, they have other issues in life, like we all do where we need encouragement. You see, it does not matter how mature we are, all of us need encouragement. And we know that it is not a question of spiritual maturity because of verse 10 to verse 11. In verse 10 to verse 11, Paul is passing on greetings to the Colossians from the brothers who are with him in Rome, Aristarchus, John Mark, and Jesus Justus. And listen to what he says at the end of that about why these brothers are so dear to him. Let's read verse 10 to 11 again. Aristocrat, my beloved prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, 
and they have been a comfort to me. Or they have been an encouragement to me. Paul is saying these brothers, these three brothers he mentioned who are Jewish, that's what he means when he says they are the men of the circumcision, they come from a Jewish background, he's saying they have been encouraging to him. You see, Paul, the great apostle, needs comfort. He needs encouragement in his spiritual life. Even though he's a giant of the faith. And that is because it doesn't matter how spiritually mature you are, you need comfort from God in your life. Life is hard. That's why we need comfort. It is hard for us to manage on our own. There is never a day when we are immune from some difficult situation. And perhaps as you sit here this evening, you are experiencing such. The Lord Jesus told us, in this world you have tribulation. And tribulations come from different directions and at different times. We face discouragement with our health. We face discouragements with our jobs, our finances. There are problems with our children. There are problems with other members of our families. We face discouragements in our relationship. Whether we like it or not, we need people in our lives. And yet people who we need are often sources of discouragement to us. We face discouragement when we step out the door of our house. There is local violence. There is a high cost of living. There is political chaos. There is war abroad. The country looks like, the world looks like it's falling apart. But of course, Christ is holding it together. The point I'm making is that there are many things, for, there are many reasons for us to be discouraged, even as we sit here this evening. And of course, that is only the physical realm. On top of these sources of discouragement, there is the devil and his demons. They are constantly at war against us, bringing, working to bring discouragement in our lives. The bottom line is, life is hard. Very hard. And that's why all true followers need encouragement. No matter how mature we are, we need encouragement. Now, at this point, some of you are probably thinking to yourself, I came to church to forget my problems, Chola. So why are you remind me of them now? That's, I didn't expect this this evening. Come on, it's hot and we need to think about beautiful things, right? Well, this truth that we need encouragement is actually, it's important that we keep reminding ourselves of it because it is reminding us to depend on Christ. There are many times we say to ourselves, depend on yourself. Look inside your heart. Live for yourself. You have the weed and talent to make it. Don't just sit there, have a you got it all together attitude. Right? And the world is repeating that, isn't it? It's saying, look inside your heart, rely on yourself. But the truth is that we are needy people. And we don't like, you know, we don't like being called that. <laughs> no one wants to be called needy. But that's the truth. All human beings are needy people. Self-reliance and thinking we can do it on our own is a delusion. It's a delusion. We are not in charge of anything. You are not able to pull yourself up by any bootstrap. Our constant dependence on ourselves, you see, is a delusion from Satan. You are not enough. Christ is the only one in charge. And as we learned in Colossians 1 verse 17, Christ is the one who holds all things together. Is our only true sustainer. 
is the only one who is able to help you in life. But the problem is that you forget that. And so as you come here this evening, God is reminding you that you need encouragement in your life. You need God's help. And we shall see in a moment, this help comes often through God's people. Every true follower of Christ needs encouragement. You need to remember that because you're prone to forget it. You're prone, in fact, to thinking you can do it all by yourself. Now, if we're going to allow God, Christ, to encourage us, we need to know how Christ then encourages us. So we know we need encouragement that it comes from Christ. But how does Christ encourage us? What is Christ's design for encouraging his people? Well, the answer is the second lesson we learn in this passage. So the first lesson is that every true follower of Christ needs encouragement. And the second truth we learn in this passage is that Christ encourages us through his people. Christ encourages us through his people. In chapter 1, Paul reminds us that we are the arms, legs, and feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the body of Christ. He is the head. Colossians 1, verse 18. Very famous passage. And he, that is Christ, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be what? Preeminent. We looked at that. Feels like a long time ago now. In chapter 2, Paul says that because we are the body of Christ, Christ is the one who nourishes us and cares for us with growth that comes from God. Do you remember the passage? Colossians chapter 2, verse 18 to 19. It says this, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on aestheticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up, without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. Paul there is warning the Colossians not to try and grow in their own strength by, or by leaning on any man-made spirituality. He's saying true growth, true spiritual growth, comes only through Christ. He's the one who nourishes his body through its joints and ligaments so that it grows with the growth that is from God. But how does Christ do that? How does Christ strengthen his body? Well, chapter 2, chapter 3, verse 9 to 17, taught us that Christ does this by enabling us to live out our new humanity in him together as a new people. And so that entire section reminds us of who you are and the virtues we need. And in fact, when we get to, verse, to chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says, as the word of God dwells in us, it should overflow towards each other. In other words, the way Christ grows us is not, is yes, individually, but he uses his people to grow us. That's why we are meant to speak the word of God to one another. That's why we are meant to even sing to God and sing to one another, as Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 teaches us. And I know that uh, uh, Brother David Segawa re- revisited uh, that passage um, two weeks ago. Now here, in chapter 4, verse 7 to 11, Paul is returning to this thing. He's teaching us that Jesus knows we are needy. He knows you are a needy person. He knows that you have needs in your life. He knows you need constant encouragement. 
And so what Christ has done is that he has not only sent his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit um, proceeds from the Father and the Son. Not only has he sent the Holy Spirit to you, but he has it where given you his word to strengthen you, and he has also given you his people to help you live and serve Christ. So the church is a gift to you to encourage you. And in this passage, we see that, don't we? In this passage, we see that Christ has laid it on the heart of Paul to send Tychicus with a specific mission of encouraging what? The Colossians. Verse 8, I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Paul is saying to the Colossians, I know that you are concerned about me. I know you are worried for your pastor. I know that you are concerned about many other things in your life. That's why I'm sending Tychicus to you, to encourage you. He will tell you about how God is working through our suffering. He will share with you about how God is saving people. People like Onesimus, even though we are behind chains, God is still using us to share the gospel with us. You don't need to be worried about us. He is coming to you not just to report to you about us. He's going to give you spiritual encouragement because he's a faith minister in Christ. He will will fill in for Pastor uh, Epaphras. He's coming to as your encourager. And notice here, what is particularly crucial here is that Paul is not just saying that he has sent a letter to encourage his believers. He's saying he has sent flesh and blood to go along with it. He sent the letter and he sent a man. And that's because, you see, Paul knows that God works not just through his word to comfort us, but also through his Holy Spirit-filled people, other followers of Christ. God has graciously, it's quite amazing when you think about it. God has graciously given us, in addition to his all-sufficient word, he has given us gifted, Holy Spirit-filled Christians to explain the word of God to us, to encourage us. Not just preachers, but ordinary believers who are mature, who have walked with the Lord for many years, to come alongside us, to strengthen us. In this case, Pastor Tychicus is a minister of the gospel, isn't it? He will explain. It's amazing. There is a letter there, the word of God. We call it Colossians. But with Tychicus there now, they have a commentary. <laughs> because Tychicus will make sense. Whatever questions we have in Colossians, we don't understand. Tychicus would have expanded on those points for them. Oh, that is what, what does preeminent mean? What did Paul mean when he wrote preeminent? Tychicus will explain that. This is what he meant. It's like a walking human commentary. And Paul says, you need that. And not only that, Tychicus is not bringing only Bible knowledge and insights from Paul. He's also bringing a physical presence. He's Paul's messenger. You see, the Colossians don't just need encouraging words. They also need fellowship. Tychicus is going as a believer, as a messenger of Paul, as an ambassador of Paul. His physical presence will encourage and comfort them. You know, he's the next best thing they can have to Paul himself visiting them at Colossae. In short, 
Sending Tychicus to comfort them is intended to teach us that Christ encourages us in our faith through his church, through his people. And the experience of Paul in verse 10 to 11 echoes the same truth. Look at that. Paul Paul makes the same point there, really. Uh, There, Paul is in prison, isn't he? He's suffering at the hands of sinners. How is he being encouraged? Well, let's read. Look at verse 11 there. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Do you see that? He himself has received comfort from God through God's people. Now, we're going to look at these three men in a moment. But the point is that Paul really wants us to get this. God encourages his people through his people. You are God's gift, if you're a true follower of Jesus, to encourage another person. And this truth is throughout the New Testament. I mean, we can be here the whole day quoting passages. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 24. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Verse 25. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Why does the body of Christ exist? So that we can care for one another. Galatians 5, verse 13. You are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, do what? Serve one another. Do you see that? Care, serving one another. First Thessalonians 4, verse 18. Encourage one another with these words. First Thessalonians 5, verse 14. We age you, brothers. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. As I said, all the one another passages, we can be here the whole day, are making the same point. This passage is reminding us that the followers of Christ around us cannot grow in a healthy way unless you, beloved, allow God to use you to encourage them. Unless you allow you to be used by God to pour your life into them. You are the arms, legs, and feet of the Lord Jesus. You are his working hands. You are his comforting words to them. That young Christian in our church struggling with a secret sin needs a mature believer to get alongside her, to support her directly, to help her open up about her addiction, perhaps to pornography, so that she can break free from that sin. The constantly law-filling saint needs you to minister to them the grace of God so that they can see themselves through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, they hear it on Sunday, but it's a whole new dimension sitting with them over coffee and you pouring your life into them. Because there's the back and forth there, isn't there? The sister who's who's struggling to find time to read her Bible needs you to make time to gently provide much-needed accountability in a busy world, beloved. She needs you to pick up the phone and say to her, I'm going through Galatians. Where are we on this? 
Are you making progress on that? The brother who is in and out of church, we know he's drifting in his walk with Christ. It's not a secret. And you know he's being entangled in worldly things. How is that brother going to be helped? Well, he needs you. A Holy Spirit-filled Christian, I hope. To obey this exhortation in the word of God to allow God to use you to restore that brother back to spiritual health. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that members may have the same care for one another. Weakness is not an excuse in your own part. You are your brother's keeper. This is what spirit-filled Christianity looks like. It is allowing Christ to use us to care for others. As Tychicus is doing, beloved. As, 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 as Aristocles and Mark and Justus are doing for Paul. Now, all of us who are true followers of Christ, deep down, know this truth. And I appreciate listening to it on a warm Sunday evening, perhaps you find it boring. You know this truth already. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a new truth, I hope. I hope it's a truth that you know already, right? But the question you have to ask yourself is this. Why do, I, do you then need to be reminded of it? Why is it everywhere in the Bible? Why does the Bible constantly keep coming back to this theme? That Christ wants to use us, his people, to encourage his people. Why is that, beloved? Because the truth is that you and I need to be reminded of this truth. The truth is that we are saved sinners. And the sin in us is antisocial. It, is, it makes us be bent in on ourselves. Sin makes us self-focused on receiving help but not giving it. The sin in us makes us relate to other people based on what we can get out of those relationships rather than what we can give in, as I said this morning. We're all like that. We're not just self-focused by nature. The other problem is that we are prideful. We do not want to stoop low to pick up those who are struggling among us. It feels beneath us. We don't put it like that, but it is there on the back of our mind. We are tempted to look at other people who are struggling with some sin and pat ourselves on the back and say, praise God that I don't sin like that sister. I, we don't say it loudly. Yeah? I, I am not saying that we say it loudly to ourselves. I am saying the proof of our pride is in the pudding of our inaction. Our inaction to care for others. That's the proof. Now, please hear me very clearly. Because I could be misunderstood at this point. I am not saying that giving ourselves to encourage others means promoting laziness in other believers. Not every needy person has a legitimate need. Not every need is legitimate. Some people know what they need to do. And they are willfully disobeying the Lord. They have heard it many times. Others have gone around them. But they are still willfully disobeying the Lord. It is not our job, beloved, to pamper them in their sin. I am not saying we should be busy pampering people in, in their sin. We need to encourage them to look to Christ, to be serious about their life or they will perish. Right? 
We should not allow people just to waste our time. I'm not, I'm, I don't want you to come out this, this evening thinking, I'm promoting you laziness, or I'm saying just pour endless amount of time in people that are frankly know the best what they need to do. Beloved, there is a hell to be avoided and a heaven to be won, and we cannot be spiritual babysitters. So that's not what I'm talking about. What I am saying is that there are people with genuine needs. They are either spiritually young in Christ and they're just immature and they need our help. Or they are going through seasons of life where they are burdened. They are such things as genuine needs. And I believe God has placed us in the lives of these people to encourage them. As Paul says to church at Thessalonica, we are to help the weak. There are people who are weak. They need our help. We are to encourage those who are faint-hearted. And we are to continuously admonish one another, which means speak the word of God into one another and offer correction for bad behavior and so forth so that people can turn away from the wrath to come. And I am saying we need to be intentional encouraging each other. God is calling you to be like Tychicus, to be, to be like Aristarchus, to be like Mark, to be like Justus, who encouraged others. We need to make this our daily mission. To look out for new opportunities to encourage others. To be a blessing to them by doing some spiritual good to them. And I just want to say we cannot do this by accident. It requires us to be radically other-centered. It will not happen by constantly uh, just holding on to the self. We need to be reminded constantly to abandon the self. It requires us to abandon excuses for why we are not focusing on pouring our lives to others. And for us to be honest about that. There are many excuses we use for why we are not encouraging others. One excuse I hear often is this. I'm just busy with life. Things are just busy at the moment. I can't pour my life into others because I am busy. Can I just say, that is a poor excuse. Business by nature is a poor excuse because Paul always had a lot going on in his life. Oh, friends, Paul is busy in prison. He's busy in prison. He's not just sitting there in prison. People are coming to him. He can go there. He can get away from anyone. He's getting visitors, and that's how his ministry is at work. If there's a man who lived a busy life, it is Paul. Even in prison, he was busy. So us being busy is not... An excuse. Because even as Paul is busy in prison, he's thinking about the Colossians. He's thinking about the Laodiceans. He's thinking about those in Iolapolis. He's also sent a letter to Ephesus. Paul is a busy man. A letter to Philippa is probably already on its way. He's a busy man. And yet he's got time. Well, he's using his business to encourage. That's his business. Some people tell, some, one of our excuses we give is that it's just too costly. It's just too costly just to... I don't know, just pouring love into people. Just, there's so many things I have to give up. It's costly to me. But beloved, you know, I love the word of God because, and we need to be patient with the word of God. Because I wonder when you read verse 7, Tychicus would tell you about my activities. And then you came to verse 8, 
Well, just that. Tychicus will tell you about my activities. When you come to verse 8, I have sent him to you. I wonder whether you took in the weight of those verses. What do I mean by that? Have you thought about the journey, beloved? The journey that Tychicus has had to travel to get from Colossae, from Rome, to go to Colossae. Did you think about that? This is 2,000 years ago. There's no easy jet. Let me give you a sense of the journey he's having to go through. To travel to Colosse involved Tychicus crossing much of Italy on foot. Then he would sail across the Adriatic Sea, and after traveling across Greece on foot, he would then have to sail across the agency to the coast of Asia Minor. And after that, he then has to journey a hundred miles on foot to reach Colossae. Did you hear that? Well, what a journey. That's what you need to hear. What a journey. It's a huge journey. A huge journey. Full of many dangers. Full of many dangers. And he's doing it to encourage others. Crossing the sea twice. On foot at least three times, including a stretch of Italy. And that stretch from Asia Minor to Colossae, from that part of Asia Minor to Colossae, will be a hundred miles on foot. This will be a journey of danger to a people he has never met. What cost? He's not just going to do this journey. He's going to go to Laodicea, perhaps to give off the letter. We know he went to Ephesus. <laughs> He's been everywhere. He was the delivery person for that, for Paul. And I thought about that and asked myself, why is Tychicus willing to bear the cost of encouraging other followers of Christ and we are not? I even asked myself, is the Christ who lives in me the same as the Christ who lived in Tychicus? Because this Christianity seems a whole lot different in its capacity to bear the cost. The issue, beloved, is that it is a heart issue. It is either we do not have Christ living in us as Chiticus had, or we have seriously backslidden. And we need to cry out to God to help us love Christ. And because if we love Christ, we love his people. Saying it's too costly is not an excuse, because standing up against Tychicus blows all of that out of the water. Another excuse we give is that I cannot get alongside to encourage that brother because in the past, I did not get so well with him. Sometimes we use that. But Mark, John Mark, puts that excuse, puts a nail on that excuse. His relationship with Paul suffered a setback, as we said this morning, to say the least. And yet, what does Paul say about him? He includes him among the three men who have been a comfort to him. Past experience is no excuse. Cost, no excuse. Business, no excuse. Past difficulties in particular are not an excuse because the real question is, do we have a heart for the kingdom? These are men who labor for the kingdom. Are we willing to see other believers built up? That's the question. Another excuse people say is that, well, we just don't know how to encourage others. I just don't know how to do it. 
I need more discipling. I need more before I can disciple someone. And I'm just not competent. I need more help, more strength from God. But think of Jesus just us. He shoots through that excuse. As far as we know, he was just an ordinary believer. He's only found here in the New Testament. We might even say he's a nobody. He's a taller from judges, we might say. He's just a, a nobody. And yet we find him here listed among those who have been a comfort to Paul. God wants to use ordinary Christians to encourage ordinary Christians. And indeed, God wants to use ordinary Christians to encourage those that are serving in his kingdom. Because Paul, the pastor, needs encouragement. Where is he going to get it from? If it's not from these brothers who have labored side by side with him. And I think this man is just encouraging Paul just by being there in prison with Paul. Just being there. Praying with Paul. And that's a comfort to Paul. Tony Merida, in his wonderful book, Love Your Church, tells a story. We've got a copy there in the, in, in the foyer. And some of you have read it already. You may remember this story. He tells, uh, in his book, he tells a story he heard about an inner city pastor, right? And the woman said to the pastor, Pastor, we need more signs and wonders. We just haven't seen enough signs and wonders. Since you've been here, I guess. The pastor answered her, Ma'am, over there sits a lady who has been evicted from her apartment with her children. I would consider it a sign and a wonder if you would take them into your house to live there for three months. The point the pastor was making is that there's nothing wrong with wanting God to do big things that are so obvious that they have been done by him. The problem is that we have a wrong idea. We have a wrong idea of signs and wonders. The ministry of encouragement is extraordinary. That's why you're not doing it. That's why I struggle to do it. It would be, wouldn't it? A major miracle to open up your home, wouldn't it? And put up with all the chaos of somebody who's been used to living on the street. Or a new believer who's come to church has nowhere to live. I mean, think of the billion excuses you've got right now of why that's just not going to work. My kids, nah, that's not going to work. Look, look, we've only got three rooms. The little one didn't sleep there. I didn't sleep there. I just use that. It's full up. But if we truly surrender our hearts to God, if we are willing to be used by him, beloved, there's no limit to the resources we have that God can use to encourage other true believers among us. You know, do you know, for example, someone in this church regularly makes cards. She makes cards. And she puts them, she gives them to me and I put them there. And these are personally made cards. You can't buy them from the shop. A lot of effort goes into these cards. They are beautiful cards. I've shown them to different people. They're just amazing cards. And she gives, she puts them there. So that with scriptures there, free of charge, you can use that card to write for someone else. And the person who does this 
sends cards out regularly. I've received one and I've been much encouragement. Now, that ministry is already taken, but you get the idea. There are many things you can do. Now, I mean, your card has to be as good as that before we approve it to, to be used, right? I'm just saying. But you get the point. No, to be serious, though. My point is there are many things we can do. If we're serious about encouraging other believers. You can give yourself to encourage other believers by doing some good things for them. Taking groceries to an elderly saint. Just once a month or even once a week. Listening to a wounded brother. Giving a single parent a break by just telling her, look, I know you've got a lot on, but I just want to cook for you today. Spend, setting aside time to open the Bible with someone. Or just asking maybe somebody who's, who lives by themselves to go for a walk with you. There are many, many, many ways we could encourage one another. Can you imagine what would happen if at the start of each week, right, every one of us thought to ourselves, which person in the church am I going to bless in the week ahead? That's 52 people in the whole week. But imagine if each of us did that at the beginning of the week, just one person in some way. Well, what an encouraging place this church would be. I mean, we would not only feel welcomed into each other's lives, I think our spiritual vitality would grow. And, oh, Lord, I mean, there would just be so many things the Lord would do among us. If we only had the heart of Tychicus, if we only had the heart of John Mark, if we only had the heart of Justus, only had the heart of Aristarchus. And doing this, of course, is not easy, isn't it? That heart requires death to self. And Christ is willing to help us, isn't he? For his glory, if we give ourselves to him. Because we are his body, we all need encouragement. And we are seeing that God encourages us through his people. Now, quickly, the burden of this passage is not just about us giving encouragement. It is also about receiving it. And this is the third and final truth we learn here. So, every follower of Christ needs encouragement. And God uses, Christ uses his people to encourage us to encourage his people. Well, the third truth is that we must welcome also the encouragement in our lives. So on the one hand, we are to give encouragement, but on the other hand, we must be willing to receive encouragement. And I think this is the burden, actually, of this passage. Because the reason Paul is introducing Tychicus to them is so that they would not only welcome him as a brother, but also they would welcome his ministry and encouragement. Look again at verse 7 to 8. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Paul is saying to them, welcome the ministry of encouragement that our brother Tychicus is bringing you. Do not despise it. Do not ignore it. Let Tychicus encourage your hearts in Christ. When he speaks to you about things of God, give him a full hearing. Encourage him to encourage you. That is the force of verse 7 to 8. And the verses that follow, verse 10 to 11, are intended more like an illustration of how Paul himself has put this into practice. We need to read them again, don't we? 
Aristocrats, my fellow prisoner greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justus, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom, and they have been a comfort to me. In other words, Paul has welcomed encouragement from these three men. He has welcomed it from Aristocrats, a well-known man in the early church. He was a Jewish believer, and he had known Paul for a long time. Uh, Like many Jews living in the diaspora, he had a Greek name. But according to Acts 20, verse 4, and Acts 27, verse 2, it was actually from Thessalonica. And in fact, Aristocrats is mentioned um, during Paul's three-year ministry at Ephesus. And he was seized. He was one of those seized by a mob. Uh, and the mob, when the mob realized it, they realized that he was one of Paul's friends. And we read about that in Acts 19, verse 29. And he was later uh, to accompany Paul on his trip to Jerusalem. We read that in Acts 20, verse 4. And then he was on the voyage to Rome when Paul was imprisoned. And we read about that in Acts 27, verse 4. And now as Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians, Aristotle is still beside him. He's encouraging Paul by sharing the prison cell with him. Aristotle, my fellow prisoner, greets you. He's encouraging Paul. And Paul is glad to receive that encouragement from him. The other person there is John Mark. We talked about him this morning, didn't we? And I mentioned him briefly. Again, he's been comforting Paul, and Paul has welcomed that. And there's Jesus Justus there. We do not know much about him, as I said. He's been encouraging Paul, and Paul welcomes it. They have been a comfort to me. The point is that Paul is willing to receive encouragement from these brothers, including people who are not exceptional, like Jesus, Justus. And Paul is in effect saying, look, I'm willing for Mark to comfort me. I'm willing for, these, for Justus to comfort me. You too, beloved, must be willing to be comforted by other believers. We know that we need to open ourselves to be comforted by other believers. But the truth of the matter is that we don't always do it. And that's why we need that encouragement. We are not good, friends, at receiving comfort, encouragement from others. We sometimes push out of our lives people who want to be an encouragement to us. We know in our hearts we need other believers, but the sinful nature starts to fight back. There is a part of us that actually wants help and resists help from God's people. And of course the devil gets in, doesn't he? He always wants us not to get help, and so he puts it in us not to be encouraged by others. It's, it's quite shocking. You would think that all of us want encouragement. And to some degree, we, we know we need it, and we want it, but at the same time, we, we don't always go for that encouragement. And, and, and it's not just that we have that discomfort about it, or that self-reliance, but there's also the issue of pride. The deeper sinful problem is that we do not want to be humbled. We do not want to rely on other people to encourage us in our work with God. We do not want to appear weak. We don't want to appear needy. We want others to think we are strong. And as a result, we don't welcome encouragement. And we certainly don't share the needs. We desire to be seen as having it all together. And of course, sometimes it's just that we don't know people very well and we don't trust them for whatever reason. And that's why the gospel is so important. Because the gospel says, 
God has made us part of his family. And so that means the person sat next to you or in this room, if they are truly converted, they are really true family in Christ. At one level, you can't trust us. But on the other hand, it's not really about us. It is that if you are trusting in the gospel, there is no shame in Christ. Because of what Christ has done on the cross, we can share the deepest struggles with one another. Because our worth is not in ourselves. It's on the cross. So the more we focus on the cross, the more vulnerable we are with each other. I just want to end here by saying, beloved, don't forget, and this might shock you a little bit, don't forget that every child of God who has walked on earth has needed support from others. Even the Lord Jesus Christ, as a man, needed help. Shocking. We read in the Bible that God sent angels to come for Jesus at least on two occasions. The angels ministered to him in the wilderness. And the angels ministered to him in Gethsemane. Christ chose, of course, to receive help because though he's God, he lived as a man for us. He did not hold on to his privileges. I'm making a connection with what Brother Fred has been teaching us in Ephesians 2. He emptied himself by taking on, emptying by adding, adding, choosing to live as a servant. And living as a servant, he needed help. So Jesus not only gives you the reason to ask for help, Jesus is your example. He's your example. He shows us that depending on the Holy Spirit doesn't take away. No one has been ever more spirit-filled than Christ Jesus the man. And yet even he needed help from others. What about you? Well, the answer is you need it. And so this evening, let us ask the Lord Jesus to grow us in getting alongside others and in allowing other believers to get alongside us. Amen.